Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. Welcome to Horizon West Church. What an awesome reminder that we serve the same God uh, throughout generations and throughout uh, every continent and probably every country of the world. Uh, We're united by the same God, the same faith uh, that we hold with many brothers and sisters uh, throughout time and throughout the places in which we live. Uh, This month, February, uh, is Black History Month. And uh, we want to take just a moment to really especially recognize the contributions of black Americans and black Christians, you know, to, to study American history, to study the, the history of our nation, is to study the history of black Americans who in many cases have struggled and sacrificed to overcome and to achieve triumph and, and, and their rightful place at the table of the, of the dream that we call America. And so we want to recognize those. And as you learn about names like Martin Luther King Jr. or Frederick Douglass or various ones, you'll also recognize that many of those were also devout followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, who were very simply applying the the principles of freedom and victory that they had in Christ uh, to their situation as black Americans. And so uh, continuing even into today in this church and in churches around our nation, around our world, we just want to recognize those of African descent who have and continue to make incredible contributions uh, to the kingdom of God here in America and around the world. Uh, This morning we're continuing our 1 Corinthians series. We began last week. Uh, If you did not get a chance to be here or to watch online, I want to really encourage you uh, to go back and watch the first message in 1 Corinthians because it really lays the foundation and gives the context for everything that's going to come after. Uh, And today what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the first what I'm calling mini-series that is uh, in 1 Corinthians. Before I do that, let me make one other uh, acknowledgement and recognition. You guys know that over the month of January, we were asking our people to build with us. And so I have a report on how many people volunteered to serve in different areas of the church in the month of January. And that number is, our drummer left, drum roll, 43 individuals who took their step to begin serving as volunteers. And I want to I wanna thank them, but I also want to thank any one of you who serve on a Sunday morning team here at the church. And so whether you're one of the 43 or you've been serving for months or years, would you stand to your feet if you were a volunteer at Horizon West Church? Come on, I know there's more of you. We want to recognize you. As they're standing, would you help me thank them for what they're doing to serve? Kids, guest services, set up, tear down. Awesome. You guys have a seat. Thank you so much for all that you are doing. Uh, when, I first, uh, when I first met Nikki, my wife, um, we were set up on a blind date, and Nikki said, hey, rather than you taking me to some restaurant or coffee shop um, and maybe being a creeper because I don't know you, uh, my friends are having a cookout. Do you want to come? And so I said, sure. And so I got to meet Nikki in the context of kind of her friends and the people she was doing life with, and we were playing this game where uh, you, you lay down a certain color card to indicate your answer to a various questions. And, and it's, it's fun, but you know, kind of vague thing. And, 
And so I'm answering this question with this orange-colored card. And she looks at me, and she's like, and she lays down a blue card over top of it, blue and orange. And she gives me a big smile. And I went, oh, no. Now, if you are a Gators fan, you know that blue and orange are the Gators' colors. And so I slid her blue card off the table and laid a green card down because green and orange is the Miami Hurricanes, and that's my team. Thanks, both of you. Um, my childhood was great, y'all. Adulthood has been a struggle as a Miami Hurricanes fan, but um, that, that's, that's where that was. So um, what we agreed upon, and the reason we're able to now be married for nearly 13 years, is our mutual disdain for the Florida State Seminoles. So now, if you're a Florida State fan, all you have to say is, look at the rankings, because, but, but we're not going there. How many of you have seen this license plate or one like it somewhere around Central Florida? Maybe not these two teams. You've seen these, right? House divided, Florida State, Florida, or Miami, Florida State, or Nebraska, Ohio State, or whatever it might be. And this is kind of common vernacular. Abraham Lincoln, in one of his famous addresses on the State of the Union, as they were getting ready to head into the Civil War, he said, a house divided against itself, what? It cannot stand. So preserving the union became the goal of Abraham Lincoln. Actually, you may not know that that quote came from Jesus. Matthew 12, 25, he says, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. So this morning, we're beginning a, a several-week series that we're calling A House Divided. And I've been mindful as I've prepared for this message of at least two categories of, of people that are here in the room and those watching online. And there are more, but two categories of people that I'm especially mindful of today. There are some of you who are still relatively new to Christian faith or maybe new to being a part of a church. And, and you're like some of the people that I counsel in premarital counseling. You're like, man, this is wonderful. Church is perfect. Everybody's happy and gets along and there's no division. And so I would say to you, like I say to couples that, are, uh, that I'm doing premarital counseling with, I say, hey, it is good, but it's not all what it appears to be. <laughs> like your marriage is going to be hard. You're going to go through dark seasons. If you have too high or naive a concept of what this is going to be, you're going to be disappointed. And some of you need to hear this morning, and I hate to be the one to tell you, but if you're new to church, God is good and the kingdom is great, but church can be messy and church can be hard. Others of you are kind of way over here on the other side where you're like, the fact that I'm in a church on a Sunday morning is a miracle. <laughs> I've heard stories over the last several weeks over coffee or lunch or even in my small group at my house and I literally have said to some of you, man, thank you for coming back to church. I don't know that I could navigate all the, uh, the, the hurt and the church splits and the hypocrisy and the, and the toxic leadership. And like that's a reality in many of the churches of our, of our world. And to you, maybe the reminder is, hey, it can be good again. Like, don't give up on the church. It is the bride of Christ, and God will not give up on his church. And so we've got these two categories, and what we're going to do over the next few weeks is just kind of address the fact that church can be hard, and church can be messy. And one of the great messes that comes with church life is, unfortunately, the divisions that can creep into it. 
If you recall last week when I shared about what Paul was addressing in Corinth was two things. One is the decaying influences of the outside and the other was the divisive influences on the inside and where he's going to start is on the issue of division. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 10 and it'll be on the screen behind me or you can follow along in a Bible or Bible app. 1 Corinthians 1, we're going to read about 16 verses, so here we go. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. But is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 16, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where then is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly or foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I want to look quickly with you at, at four common commitments that all genuine Christians hold. And by genuine Christians, I just mean people that hold to these four common commitments. And these are unifying commitments that, that we all share in common and are more important than any of the things that could potentially divide us. They all come from this passage. And the first one I see here is that we all hold to the same Savior. We all have the same Savior. Uh, you may think that social media introduced us to the problem of competing for followers, but it did not. This was happening in the first century. Uh, one of the things I like to do is listen to sports radio. Sometimes I'm driving Nikki's car and I accidentally leave it on and she turns on the car and she goes, how in the world can you listen to three hours of people like Colin Cowherd just, just spouting off nonsense? I'm like, because it's awesome, right? And sports radio guys and sports uh, TV guys, they love to talk about who is on the Mount Rushmore of the NBA or the NFL, right? Like, like meaning, who are the four greatest of all time? If you were going to carve out a mountain like we did for four of our presidents, like who would you put on the Mount Rushmore? And they debate this. In the NFL, it's really tough. It's challenging. It's not hard in the NBA. It's LeBron, Jordan, Kobe, and Wilt Chamberlain. And that's a settled, like you don't need to even argue that. But who's on the Mount Rushmore? Like, like, who's your favorite follow? And Paul says, Corinthians, it seems like you've got these favorite follows or these guys you've put on your Mount Rushmore. Guys like me or, or Apollos. Apollos was an a African Jew who, who migrated to Corinth of all places. So he was actually a Corinthian resident. And he was kind of the first celebrity preacher. 
Like this guy was powerful in his speeches, and, and, and we don't know a lot about him from the Bible, but alongside Paul and Peter, he's like the other guy that's carving out incredible things, planting churches, preaching the gospel. So he says, me, or Apollos, or Cephas, that's Peter, that's a, a, another way of saying Peter, or Christ. He said, these, these seem to be your big four that you follow. And the issue is not just that the Corinthians followed these people, there's nothing wrong with following people. There's nothing wrong with esteeming people who are doing the work of God and saying, man, I have great respect for this person. The problem is they were actually elevating them and pitting them against each other. We would never do that, right? With people like John MacArthur or Beth Moore, Stephen Furtick or Tony Evans or whoever that that person is that you go, well, if you really want to know the truth, you got to listen to this guy. I think Paul would say, are are you sure you want to put your truth on that person? Like, isn't the Bible enough? Isn't Christ enough? Why, Why are you pitting these people against each other? We're on the same team. We have the same Savior. And I love that Paul includes Christ in that list because he's kind of pointing out the absurdity of it. It's like, hey, some people are like, I follow Apollos, and some are like, well, I follow Christ. And to borrow the words of a popular children's TV show, one of these is not like the others. There's one on this list that that is far greater and supersedes all of these because he's the only one that died to redeem us. So we should only have one true follow, one that we worship, one that we elevate, and that is Jesus. Paul, through a a list of rhetorical questions, drives the point home. He says, is Christ divided? And he wants the Corinthians to be like, well, no. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized into the the name of Paul? Like, is it? No. Well, then go back to the one who died for you and to his name you were uh, baptized into because he alone is the one who's worthy of worship. Uh, We continue in the 21st century to have this this struggle or this problem, right, where we elevate the celebrity pastors. I I watch this closely because it's a real concern for me. I feel like there's a recipe to this thing. There's a, a, a guy or a girl who, who is anointed by God and they're, they're gifted and they use their gift and, and all of a sudden they gain a following and people are like, wow, look at that. And they start publishing books and getting on TV and, they start, and, and we start like building those people up. And, and this is problematic, I think, at least three reasons. I'll go through them quickly. Number one, it tends to divide the church. People are putting more stock on the guy they're following on YouTube than on their own local pastor, and it's concerning. There's a level of division when we elevate mere men or mere women. Secondly, it diminishes the supremacy of Christ. When all you can talk about is this great book that you read by so-and-so or this great uh, YouTube video you saw, we need to be reminding people that our faith is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is the Savior that we hold in common. We all have the same one. And then the one that also kind of concerns me is that it potentially destroys the one who's elevated. It's like we we build this massive building on a faulty foundation. Because when that man or when that woman either A, gets intoxicated by the praise, or B, carries so much pressure on them to, to live it out, that they fall, that they crumble, that they have a moral failure or they implode, we just kick them to the curb and move on to the next one. 
and super, super problematic. And Paul, as early as the first century, is, is going, guys, don't go down this road. Don't go down the road of elevating and lifting up each other. There's only one who's worthy of our worship. Verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is both the strongest possible appeal that he can make, and it's also the basis of the appeal. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we are saved but the name of Jesus. One Savior, same Savior. Secondly, we have the same family. We're part of the same family. I learned a, a terrible secret about one of our tech guys. I won't tell you who, uh, but this young brother has never seen Remember the Titans. And I mean, I feel like a confession is warranted. I don't know if he wants to come forward or not, but you talk about Mount Rushmore, you, sports movies, I don't know, man, like Field of Dreams, Rudy, Hoosiers, and, and Remember the Titans, maybe? Like, it's up there. And, and one of the things I love about Remember the Titans, if you've seen the movie, and again, if you haven't, you're sinning, but um, <laughs> Remember the Titans, Gary Bertier, left side, strong side, right? He gets in a car accident, he's paralyzed, he goes into the hospital, and there's this incredibly moving scene, because Remember the Titans is the true story of how a uh, uh, all-white school and an all-black school began to integrate in the 60s and built a football team that was a powerhouse. And Gary Bertier, the anchor of the linebacking uh, crew, he's a, he's a white player and he's been paralyzed and he is in the hospital. And one of the black players, Julius, comes to visit him. And there's this moving scene where the, the nurse says to Julius, I'm sorry, only family allowed. And Gary Bertier says, Alice, are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? This is my brother. I, I share that because there is a family resemblance among Christians. And it transcends our skin color. It transcends our languages. It transcends whatever ideologies or allegiances we may have other than if you are bought with the blood of Jesus and you have the same Savior, then you also belong to the same family. It's why we should feel something and be moved deeply when we hear about Christians in places like Nigeria, North Africa, or Syria who are being persecuted, who are being imprisoned or beheaded. And we go, man, I, I've never met those people. I don't share the same maybe skin color or ideology. We don't eat the same foods or speak the same language. And yet, that's my brother or that's my sister. I've had times where I've landed in a place like Haiti or Jamaica or I've just been in a taxi cab in New York City or something, and you meet a Christian, and it's like instant bond. Anybody else had that experience? Nothing else in common but this one thing. This is my brother or my sister because of the blood of Jesus. You may have noticed that three times in the passage, Paul appeals to the Corinthians as his siblings. The, the Greek word there is adelphoi, which means brothers and sisters. And that's not incidental. That's not like, um, right? Like we put the brother, it's like, no, he's like, you are my brothers, you are my sisters. Because if I can remind you, Corinthians, that you are family, then it should change the way you think about and treat one another. Now, the thing I want to address with you is that something happened recently, and it was called 2020. And I didn't think there was anything that could divide families until 2020 happened. I'm talking about people who, who grew up together. People have been married for 30 years parents and children and all of a sudden there were fractures and there were breaks and some of those still have not mended. Prior to 2020 we, we assumed that family meant ride or die. We'd say things like blood is thicker than water 
And yet we learned how easy it is for the enemy to creep in and divide us. Mask or no mask. Vaccine or no vaccine. Red or blue. I mean, it was just over and over. It was hard, if I can be perfectly honest with you. It was hard at times to continue pastoring a church where there were such deep differences. Now, let me commend you. In spite of those deep differences, you, Horizon West Church, have remarkably kept the unity of your common bond as a family. I am proud of you. Not every church was able to. Not every family was able to navigate that. And by the grace of God, we have. And some of those differences, and maybe many of them still exist, but we've decided we're going to agree with each other on the things that are most important. We have one Savior, and we share one family bond. And so secondary issues won't divide us. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 In the NIV 1984 version, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The whole family. North Koreans, Nigerians, Venezuelans, Syrians, Brazilians, Americans. We've got one family and we have the same father. Friends, there's only two possibilities. Either God isn't your father, in which case you treat me however you want to treat me. Or God is your father. And mine as well, and therefore we must figure out a way to treat each other as brothers and sisters. This is what the gospel demands. John in 1 John 2.9 said it this way, Whoever says he's in the light, yet hates his brother, is still in darkness. Don't you know those people who go, Well, I love God, but I just can't stand. John says, Time out. It's easy to say you love God. It's easy to, to, to pray. It's easy to read your Bible. It's easy to be by yourself with God and go, everything's great. The true test where the rubber meets the road is what happens when a brother offends me? What happens when a sister has a different viewpoint? What happens when, when my liberties are encroached upon? How will I act? And hatred doesn't have to mean I want them dead. It just has to mean I value myself more than I value them. I value my ideology more than I value Christian unity. We can't claim union with God, John says, and yet have disunity with our brothers and our sisters. We hold as a value at this church that we are a diverse community of good friends who are together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus. And because of your commitment to that and your commitment to the word of God and the gospel, that is a true value and not merely an aspirational value. And I'm grateful to you for that. Here's the third common characteristic that we all hold. We have the same faith. When I was in college, I attended a small church in northern Indiana. And uh, this church, and I'm not picking because I'm going to do an equal opportunity uh, picking on in a second. But this particular church was a reformed church. Um, And some of you understand what that means. Some of you don't. Some of you are real strong on that and some of you aren't. Um, But as I was talking to this older brother in Christ and he was sharing his testimony and he said, you know, this is when I, when I came to know Jesus and I was a young man and this and that. And he said, but, but things really changed when I came to the reformed faith. And I went, I mean, I didn't say this out loud. I was polite, but I was like, what? What do you mean the reformed faith? Like if I'm not reformed, is that a different faith? Do you see the problem with that? I mean, I, I, think, I think I know what he was saying. The problem is he attached a, a, a set of values or, or beliefs that are secondary as the faith. Here's where I'm going to offend everybody. Or, or many of you. 
our, our tribe has something called the Baptist faith and message. And there is nothing wrong with what's in that. that. That's a great list of some of the core things that we hold as values. The problem is we don't call that our creed or our common values. We call that our faith and message. And I'm here to tell you, there is only one faith. And there is only one message. And it isn't a Baptist faith. And it isn't a Reformed faith. I remember one New Testament writer saying it this way. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And this, yeah, you can applaud that. This, this schism that began in the first century, it's like anything. It starts small, but when it's not corrected, generation after generation after generation, friends, we esteem the, the, the Protestant Reformation, Luther and Zwingli, and these guys who reformed the church, and God used them in great ways. They also murdered each other because of the way they baptized. And you study church history, like this is just the mind-blowing reality. Divisions across what the faith actually is have been monumental. And Paul wants to say, listen, there is only one faith and one gospel and one message. So the line of demarcation for Christians is simply this. The belief in Jesus, crucified and risen as our personal Lord and Savior. If a person believes that and has submitted their life to the Lordship of Jesus, they are your brother and sister regardless of all the thousand things that come after that. Now I won't even say that those things don't matter. I think they do. There are things we say, hey, that's cool that you do it in your church. We're not going to do it here. That's okay. That's good. But I'm also going to understand that many of the people that I might not let preach on this stage, so, so to speak, are still my brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to give them a high five or a hug or a handshake, and we're going to live together for all of eternity. So we should probably figure out how to start doing it now. Verses 22 and 23, Paul says something kind of interesting. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now, you would think from this that the only thing that matters is the death of Jesus, but I would add to that just because of the whole counsel of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul adds this, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So the person that says, well, Paul just said all we preach is Christ crucified. Well, he also said that if you don't believe he raised from the dead, you have a useless faith. That's, that's not the same faith that we have. So Christ crucified, buried, risen, coming again. That, that's, that's the gospel. That's what we all agree on. And by the way, this is not a small or insignificant thing. One of the things that I think can tend to happen is that many of us get so insulated in Christian bubbles, and Christian circles, we spend so much time with other Christians that we forget the fact that most of the world doesn't believe what we believe. I, I might liken it to times of peace for our military. When we're at peace, man, it's easy to fight about and squabble about where the money's going and all the things and all, all of that, right? But give us a common enemy. I was talking last night with some neighbors about 9-11, and do you remember Man, when those towers fell and the flag went up and it didn't matter if you voted for the president or not, you were like, man, let's go. Let's go. Let's unify. And, and this, is, this is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There are unifying characteristics that we all share. Namely, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Several years ago, I was at a friend's house and uh, I was using the bathroom, just part of the story. Um, and there was, a, there was a painting on the wall. Um, 
And we all use the bathroom, right? That isn't a weird thing. Um, and there was a painting on the wall, and I come out of the bathroom, and uh, the guy's name was Tim. I was like, hey, Tim, I was like, who's the artist, you or your wife? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, I saw a painting on the wall. Uh, let me show you the painting that I saw on the wall. He's like, you idiot. <laughs> That's a starry night by Van Gogh. And I'm like, you have the, and he's like, no, it's like, you're right. It's like, and I was like, this? Well, I, I don't get it. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> I feel like my six-year-old does stuff like this. Like, I'm just, and I apologize. I'm just not wired to get it when it comes to art. I don't understand the genius of it. I know it's there, but I look at it, I go, what, this? Let me, let me bring you a sobering reality. Most of the world hears our gospel and goes, what, this? <laughs> Jesus? That's it? Crucified? Risen? Like, that's your, that's your gospel? What power is in that man? Give me a TED talk. Like, show me something practical. To which I would simply say, the deeper you go into understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the power of God in and through it, you become a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, a better employee, employee, a better citizen. Like when you activate the words and the ways of Jesus in your life, it is what the world desperately needs. It is the pathway to life abundant, and most of the world misses it. In Paul's day, it was two groups. He says the Greeks, they're looking for wisdom and eloquence, and they don't see it in the gospel. They're like me with art. They just don't quite get it. Over here, the Jews are looking for the, the, the signs and wonders. Man, where's the Red Sea parting, right? Like, where are the, the, the miracles? In our day, it's various groups. Muslims are looking for more prayers and pilgrimages. The traditionalists are looking for the creeds and the covenants. The progressives are looking for science and scholarship. And to all of them, we simply preach this message that Paul says is utter foolishness to them. The simplicity of the gospel of Jesus. And the great paradox is that it is in that foolishness of the message of the gospel that the wisdom of God is revealed and the power of God is displayed. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16. He said, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. You know why he said that? Because everywhere that Paul went, he was derided and demeaned because the message was foolishness to them. But he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know something they don't know. It is the power of God for the salvation of every person who believes. So let us not get caught up in whatever the new trend is, whatever the, the trendy message is, whatever you know, new book has been published. We can use the resources of the world if they point us to Christ, but ultimately it is the same faith that we share in the good news of Jesus. And finally, the fourth common characteristic is that we have the same mission. Socrates and I on Friday, I shared this with some of you before the service, on Friday we got to attend uh, a retirement ceremony for one of our members, one of our volunteers. I had the privilege of giving the invocation at it. He was retiring as Lieutenant Colonel from 21 years of service in the Air Force. And if you've never attended a thing like that, it is powerful and it is completely moving. And one of the things that was dawning on me as I was listening to the different uh, colonels and lieutenant colonels and they were sharing and military people understand the idea of same mission. Because when you're in the Air Force or the Navy or the Marines or the Army or the Coast Guard or the, or the, uh, the National Guard or whatever it is, like, if you don't understand the commonality of mission, the results can be fatal. 
If you don't share the, the same objectives, you're like, no, 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 I actually want to land the, the jet over here. Like, people can die. And that's just the reality in the military. When I was in college, I got to attend the Marine graduation, Marine boot camp graduation of my friend Darren. And I've told this story before. My youth pastor put his arm around me and he said, we were, we were both there at the graduation. He said, Chris, you realize that if Darren fails at his mission, or if he goes rogue and tries to complete his own objectives over those of his commanding officer, the results can be fatal. And he said, Chris, I know that you've got a calling to preach the gospel. And if you fail at your mission, or you ever go rogue and make it about your ministry or your platform or your whatever, the results are even more fatal because they have eternal ramifications. And so all the churches, when we all get our own ideas of, well, we think we're going to do this or we want to do that, what's happening is the same schisms that continued through the first century and beyond begin to creep in and the results are not good. We have one mission. It doesn't matter what the sign on the outside of the church says, what your denominational preferences are. Our mission is to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or apply all that Jesus commanded. And Jesus says, and by the way, I'm going to be with you throughout the mission that you have here on earth. So we don't get to go and make up and like, well, what do we want to do? You know what? We're going to be the church that, that does A, B, and C. If it doesn't produce mission, we don't do it. If it gets us off mission, we don't do it. Our mission is to make disciples. Now, we contextualize that, so we have a mission statement that goes very simply, we exist to follow Jesus and lead others to do the same. But you might hear in that, the following Jesus is the going for Jesus, right? It's being with Jesus. And the leading others to do the same is teaching people to obey all that Christ has commanded. So it's the same mission. If it's a genuine church, we have the same one. Uh, a quick aside, you might notice that Paul seems to deride the idea of baptism. Did you catch that? It's kind of weird. It's also funny to me that he's like, I don't remember who I baptized there. And I'm thinking if I'm like, you know, one of the guys that he baptized, I'm like, that's kind of insulting, Paul. But he's like, yeah, no one else. He's like, I think I did this one family. And you're like, Paul, it's baked into the mission. Go and make disciples baptizing them. So, so why? And what I would say to you is that Paul isn't diminishing baptism. He's saying, just, just not my job. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to leave the baptizing to guys like Titus and Timothy, the shepherds of the local churches, because when you baptize somebody, you're kind of helping them be birthed into the family through faith, and they need a parent, and I'm not that. My job is to preach the gospel, especially in places it hasn't been. So Paul's going to come into town, preach the gospel, establish the church, train the leaders, and hand it off. But it's the same mission, different roles. Does that make sense? Now, what you're going to see in, in the reality of our, our current world is that thriving churches are ones in which a variety of gifts and roles come together around a common mission. So a lot of different personalities, a lot of different gifts, a lot of different abilities, a lot of different backgrounds and experiences, but all working together toward the same mission. And the most unhealthy, the most toxic churches are the one where pastors got one idea, but deacons all know what's really going on, Right? Or the deacons are the ones shepherding and the pastor's trying to build his plot. Like, and the members are going, no, no, I think we need to be doing this. And pretty soon it's utter chaos and mayhem because they've forgotten. There's only one mission and they're all part of it. My goal for our church would be that we're not only a unified church, but that we would become a unified church helping to unify churches. 
That's why I have in my cell phone names of guys like Brant and Brian and Renault and DL and Scott, pastors of other local churches, that when we meet together, we encourage each other, we sharpen each other, different names on the door, different signs out front, but part of the same mission together. I shared with our team earlier this week, I, I was kind of caught up in a lot of the practical outworkings of, of working toward unity in the church. Without going down too deep a rabbit hole, I met on Wednesday with a fellow pastor that because of some theological and ideological differences, not personally, but our churches had gotten a little sideways with each other. Some of you know that, some of you don't. And I felt prompted, I felt impressed by God just to reach out to the guy. And we had coffee and we talked for about an hour and we ended that conversation, I prayed for him and he prayed for me. And I don't think he's going to send any people our way in the near future. But we recognize that we're brothers in Christ. We recognize that we're linking arms toward the same mission. Different ideas about how to get there, but same mission. The very next day on Thursday, my good friend Marcio at First Baptist Horizon West invited me to join with other local pastors in Winter Garden. And we prayed together for the city. And we learned together about a new ministry called the Hope Center that's coming to downtown Winter Garden area. And we're like, man, let's link arms. Let's do this together. Not one church or the other, but all the churches together. And I would ask the question, why does all of this matter, right? Like, why does it matter that not only the church is unified, but that churches are unified? And to that, I would simply remind you of two things. First, in Jesus' final teaching to the disciples, he said, by this one thing, all people are going to know that you're my disciples. If you what? If you what? Love one another. The way the Bible spells unity is L-O-V-E. We got to do the hard work of love, which sometimes means confrontation, sometimes means forgiveness, sometimes means bearing with one another in our differences. But Jesus said it's the unifying mark of your faith that will prove that the gospel is true. And then in Jesus' final prayer, John 17, he says that they all, believers throughout history, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, the church, may also be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Final teaching, final prayer, both saying the same thing. Unity matters because it is how an unbelieving world examines the claim of our gospel. When we're scattered, when we're not unified, when we're trying to build our own kingdoms, they go, man, I don't know how that gospel could be true. And when we come together in unity, Christian unity, same mission, same faith, all of these things, the world sees truth in that. I want to end by bringing this to bear on, on your personal life. Because the truth is, as we talk about division and unity, some of you need to examine your heart and just go, man, where is there division in my own life? For some of you, you may need to wind the clock back about three years and go, man, what happened in 2020 between my family, my brothers or sisters, parents, I'm talking biologically or otherwise. And there needs to be some reparative work. You go, man, I either need to ask forgiveness or in some cases maybe extend forgiveness. Where is there division in your marriage where, where you're being selfish and you're keeping score and you're going, man, I need to just humble myself and go to my spouse and say, hey, I've been wrong. I've been arrogant. Where is there division between you as a child with your parent or parent with your child? My heartbeat for our church is that we would find those places and we would just grab them by the roots and just pull them out. 
and just say, we're going to strive to do what Jesus said, to be one as he is one. So where is there division in your own heart or life? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for the time. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you not only call us to unity, but you're the source of our unity. You're the one that helps us to get there. God, when we look just from a human perspective and we see all the differences that exist in our ideas and our personalities and our viewpoints and experiences, it's, it's truly a, a miracle that we could stand on the common footing of the cross and call each other brothers and sisters, and yet that is the miracle of the gospel. So let that miracle be alive and well in this church. God, may it be alive and well in the hearts and lives of every person in this room, those watching online, and may you get glory And may the world see the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.